Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome and thanks for joining us here on the Hat Soil Health Podcast. Selecting appropriate cover crops and getting them well established is key to achieving potential benefits. What are the key points to consider for vegetable growers as they choose and plant cover crops in the fall? That's what we're going to answer today and we've got a couple of experts here to do it. First, Chuck Moeller, Sweet Corn Charlie Produce from Millersburg, Indiana. Chuck, introduce yourself, please. Chuck Moeller. I'm a vegetable grower and uh, direct marketer up here in northern Indiana. We're located in Elkhart County, and I'm 68 years old, and I've, I've been around the block a few times. I've been growing cover crops and stuff ever since I was little, and my dad did it. So he introduced me to the whole idea back in the 1960s. And we call you Sweet Corn Charlie, and people can visit you at sweetcorncharlie.com and also facebook.com slash sweetcorncharlie. So, Chuck, uh, really appreciate you being on today. Joe Rorick is here as well from the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, also the Purdue University Department of Agronomy. Joe, please uh, reintroduce yourself for folks. I know you've been on the podcast before. Sure. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, so... Uh, like you said, I'm Joe Rorick. Um, I've been the agronomist for CCSI for about four years now. Uh, excited to be on and uh, excited to talk about cover crops and soil health today. Well, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about is selecting the appropriate cover crops and getting them well established uh, so that you can get those potential benefits from cover crops. And, and really, you know, what are the key points to consider for vegetable growers as they choose and plant cover crops this fall? So let's start Chuck, uh, if you could just explain to us what are your major crops and what types of soil do you farm? Well, my major crops are uh, uh, sweet corn, cantaloupe, watermelon. Um, I, I'm in tomatoes. I, I do uh, high tunnel tomatoes. I do outside tomatoes um, and, and all the vegetables that I would grow for cucumbers and lettuces and that for my direct marketing. My soils are sandy loams. I have some heavier clays. I try not to grow my vegetables on them, although I do work with them so that I can grow uh, vegetables on them. But that's, that's, that's a very intensive cover crop system to get them to be able to loosen up enough to grow vegetables on them. So, Joe, winter rye seems to be such a common cover crop. Why is it so popular for vegetable growers in this region? That's a great question, and it's... One that I will, I'm going to broaden my answer out a little bit to really all growers. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's exclusive to vegetable growers, certainly. It's a, it's a cover crop that we know a good deal about. Uh, it, it is, it tends to be quite consistent. So you know what you can expect from it. It has the ability to pack on a lot of above ground biomass so if you're looking for soil cover if you're looking for for weed competition uh to create a thatch to help to um 
protect your vegetables from soil splash, things like that. It has the ability to do that and, and in a relatively short time. It's also pretty easy to work with as far as it's forgiving, um, especially when you consider the planting dates. So really officially, you know, the Midwest Cover Crops Council, I think recommends you can plant winter cereal rye up to, well, Chuck, you said you're in, in Elkhart County. Is that right? Yes, I am. So I think on their uh, cover crop selector tool, I think you can, I think they recommend you can plant winter rye up until almost mid-November. But of course, you're free to plant that after that. And I know quite a few growers that, you know, things happen, right? So it, you have to get things done when you have time to get them done. And I've known quite a few growers that have planted cereal rye as long as the ground wasn't frozen hard enough for them to be able to get a drill in the ground or, or, a, a, you know, a broadcast seeder over it. So, and it, it still just kind of tends to work okay in a lot of, in a lot of cases, right? So, it, you know, farming is of course all about managing risk. Um, so, you know, when you add a cover crop in, then you also have another layer of risk to manage, but um, zero rye tends to be a pretty forgiving cover crop, especially when planting dates are concerned. That's another reason why I think a lot of it is used. I might add, add to that. We here in the northern, the northern tier of the state here, uh, dealing with a lot of cold weather, uh, we like starting to plant uh, cereal rye in mid-September, and it can get a, a very nice mat at that time, and it will grow clear up until it freezes. That's that's the thing about cereal rye that it's so special. It's so aggressive in the cold weather when we're growing cover crops. It's using the solar energy that's being produced by the sun uh, when other crops sleep. Uh, well, like Joe said, I just planted my very last uh, cereal rye here in mid-November, and it's up. I see the rose; it's, it's, it has come up. There was a lot of a lot of cover crops were being still planted cereal rye, especially up until that time during that warm weather we had this year uh, here in, in mid-November. So um, it is very forgiving, but we're also branching off into a lot of stuff up here, like uh, trichocale, which is a a um, rye wheat cross doesn't get quite so big and doesn't get away from you quite so fast. Uh, if you're tilling this stuff in, um, cereal rye can become very, very huge and uh, almost impossible to, to deal with uh, quickly in the summertime because it grows so fast. But it is, it's just, it's cheap, it's forgiving, and uh, it does create this biomass we want. And it has a thing that some of the growers like to do where they like to roll it down. It'll roll down and uh, create a like a living mat. And uh, you can uh, also till it in. It has a weed suppression nature to it. But uh, it can be a rascal to manage at times. But, but for biomass, which we, we are looking for to really keep our soils alive, it is almost like the queen of grasses. Chuck, you mentioned roller crimping. Is that how you are terminating your no. cover crops or? No, I've seen it done. I saw a neighbor uh, do a very large field for, for just for soybeans. And he planted soybeans and they rolled it down. 
and it looked very successful uh, the way they did it. There's there's some good roller tools now and some good techniques. And I, I suppose he had like a 60 acre field that they did and it, it looked extremely successful rolling it. Yeah. It, that's, it's one we're starting to hear. That's a, a termination method. We're starting to hear some more about, uh, and, and there seems to be a lot of interest in it and, and there are more and more tools coming around. And, uh, I think even some soil water conservation districts have some to rent out in parts of the state as well. Um, but certainly when you're thinking about what cover crop you might want to plant, you need to consider how you're going to terminate it then too, whether that's winter kill, or if you're going to do it with, with tillage or with an herbicide, or if you're going to try to roller crimp, um, those are all things you have to take into consideration when you're choosing your cover crop to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Many cover crops will terminate in the fall with the winter. Now we're still up here. Uh, we haven't gotten cold enough to kill the, the radishes or the oats. They're still growing. They're still alive and absorbing sunlight. Um, but probably sometime here in the, in the next month, they will get, they'll get a shock that will kill them. Um, but that's one thing about rye. Rye will go into next year and, and it can be terminated when it's fully headed out. Uh, massive, massive uh, biomass and uh, can be a cover then for the ground uh, rather than using uh, plastic mulch and some of those things. I'm, uh, it's coming. It just has to be more developed. Right. It's, um, it's funny you mentioned that your oats and your radishes are still alive. It's, this is turning out to be a fall that's been pretty forgiving for um, pushing those seeding dates, <laughs> which is a good thing because, I mean, certainly the way this whole year has gone just in general even, um, but I, it's sounding a lot like maybe the fall just didn't quite turn out how people wanted to. I've known several folks that have planted much later than they would have ordinarily hoped to, but we haven't had some really hard freezes yet that um, a lot of the things that got planted later than maybe they would have wanted are still actually doing fairly well, which, you know, is always a little bit of a gamble, but it's seeming to work out okay. We're getting some rain. We're getting, starting to crawl out of this, this dry spell we've had for some time and, and it's looking okay. Um, I think we probably had a killing frost here in the uh, Tippecanoe County area this week, but um, that may have just been more of a local thing. Well, let's look at that another way. Uh, a lot of cover crops got planted late, but there's a lot because the weather, the weather proved that they could. There's so much interest in cover crops up here uh, that when people saw that window, that it was still warm and the soils dried out enough that they could, we planted cover crops in places we wouldn't have. We would have done just fall open tillage. And so, gosh, we just had this chance of getting a cover crop in. Um, we have this place up here in, in northern Indiana. Uh, it's actually in Grange County called Ed's Supply. And uh, they've got they got a division of that that deals with just in cover crops. And it's a massive operation. I mean, they're, they're growing contract cover crops in our own area of all kinds of things. Uh, it's, I was, I just got introduced to them last uh, fall or this earlier this fall, excuse me. And I was amazed at what they were doing and the amount of cover crops. I mean, they're bringing semi loads a day of rye to, 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 to 
supply the cover crop needs up here in northern Indiana, southern lower Michigan. This thing is really exploding as far as cover crops. People are seeing what kind of a, uh, results we're getting from them. And so away we go. Uh, everybody's trying it. And so, Chuck, you've mentioned a few different kinds of cover crops that, that you use. What is your approach to choosing which cover crops and what other species do you grow other than rye? Well, it's timing. Um, I'm taking my early sweet corn off uh, that I'm using on, on, cover, on undercover. I'm getting that off in July. So by the 1st of August, I can still use sedan grass. Now, in the sedan grass, I've got... I've got oats, I've got turnips, I got uh, a little bit, uh, very few of that, but mostly oats, uh, flaxseed, and uh, sunflowers. So we're trying to create a biodiversity to feed this next crop. That'll be tilled under in the uh, first of October, early October. And then I have to build my ridges for my sweet corn next year. I have to till with that with system. And I ridge it and, and build that in. So I'm creating a, a biodiverse cover crop. It makes makes the all my my bacteria in my soil happy to have a have a diverse feed food crop. I'm I'm learning that it, it helps. I've I've seen the difference. So that's one that's what I'm using. Then uh, <clears throat> later on, I may use just oats and radishes, where I'm planting later, uh, and that will maybe be terminated in the fall also until under, or I may even just use oats and, and uh, radishes terminated about in the first of November and plant winter rye in there so I can have a continued uh, crop. I like to have something growing on that soil all the time. I never like to see brown soil. I want, I, I see it as a solar panel and that is what I, absorbing energy from the sun. And if I don't have something growing, I'm wasting the sunlight. So all the time when my crop is like sweet corn or tomatoes or melons are not growing, I would like to have something on there building my soil, feeding the bacteria, building it up, getting it ready for the next crop I want to grow. I love the way you think about that, Chuck. That's that's a really great way to, to look at it, that you don't want to waste the sunlight that you get. You had mentioned even the Syrah you planted a short time ago was up and growing. Um, and I, I really appreciate how you think about how you manage your top growth versus still being able to get roots growing and feeding the soil. That's really important to think about. And I think we, we often overlook that. Um, do you ever go out and dig up any of those plants to have a look at what the roots are doing? Yes, they're massive. It's, it's fun to go out there and dig them up. I, I love my cover crops better than the regular crops. I feed them, I fertilize them, I water them, I take care of them. They're, they're, they're bread and butter, this thing. That's, well, that's awesome. Well, how, uh, how important is it, Chuck, to fertilize cover crops and when should it be done and, and how much? Well, the, the fertilizer that I'm going to apply for my regular crop to, to balance my soil, I'll apply it to the cover crop. <clears throat> think of this. Think of the organic guys out here. They want to take an organic uh, 
product, compost, whatever, and apply it to the soil because they know that the nutrition is, is very readily available to the plant. It's easier for the plant to, to go out and pick up an organically held mineral than it is for just something like a, like a mineral that's thrown in through fertilizer. <clears throat> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put my, my minerals in that cover crop. I'm going to fill that cover crop full of all of my minerals that I've got out there. So when I till them under, they're food for that next crop. So I'm taking advantage of all the organic tricks that are going on to have a nice organic fertilizer for my sweet corn, tomatoes, or melons, whatever, ready for them to decompose as they're ready to use it. But I still do, I just still do mineral fertilizer, but I like to put it through my cover crops and then feed my <clears throat> feed my regular crops that way. So that's, you, that's, that's what I'm thinking. And you said you were on some sandy soils, Chuck? Sandy loam. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm sure you well know in, in those sands, you can, you can lose some of those nutrients pretty quick too, especially your nitrogen, which can be difficult to get a hold of and expensive to get a hold of anyway, especially organically. But, um, you know, that's one of the common goals we hear with cover crops is to be able to hold over some of those nutrients. So applying your fertilizers and then having a living root growing that can take them up and hold them, it can be a really beneficial thing to have, especially on those sandy soils where you can get a lot of water movement that'll flush out any of those free nutrients. Yeah, well, any soil where you have a <clears throat> a uh, a crop that's you, something that you put in the soil is decomposing while your other crop is growing on top of it. Imagine that. I mean, that's that's what the organic guys talk about all the time, and that's what everybody talks about: a crop that's decomposing and releasing its minerals as the other crop is growing over above it, uh, and its roots are coming down into it. It's ideal. So we feed we feed our cover crops, so it's very nutritionally. Uh, loaded. So when, when my rye crop goes under, it's not starved for nitrogen. It's loaded with nitrogen. So it decomposes quickly and it releases that, that nitrogen to my sweet corn or whatever I got growing out there uh, gradually as it needs it. It's, it's, you know, it's just a, it's an even flow. So that's why I'm, I'm uh, feeding my cover crops, taking care of them so, so heavily. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then you're all, you, you know, you mentioned a little bit ago that you were feeding your soil biology with your cover crops as well, right? So by feeding your cover crops, you're also feeding your soil biology. So then when you do put a crop in that ground, you don't have to still, you don't have to start feeding your soil biology, which I think is, is part of what we don't, we don't always fully understand i think with cover crops is is part on the management end um we don't always fully recognize that you have to have your soil biology fed first and then you can feed the crop because that soil biology is going to take any free nutrients it can if it needs to first right before that yes. crop will be able to get to it it's also going to break down the minerals into a form that the plant can use yes uh, i with, with my techniques, I can grow, I would say about one, 
my yields are about one fifth higher than anybody around me because of the use of cover crops. I'm gaining a fifth, 20%, I would say, in, in the top yields uh, of anybody around me. I, my, my wheat, my corn, if I grow field corn, my soybeans, they're always better than around, around me. And, and I'm, I don't have any magical tricks that I'm playing and I'm not so smart that I can mix up some kind of a fertilizer guru mixture that I need to do that. I don't need to do these guru fertilizers because my soils are so healthy. They're just, they're just producing. Uh, Chuck, do you ever use any, uh, do you ever leave like a check strip or anything to help to confirm that for yourself? Um, that's one thing I always wonder about is, is the value of just leaving a, a, a check strip or, or doing some on-farm testing. Oh, I've done that years ago. I'm, I'm 68 years old. I'm beyond testing on that. Leave, leaving check strips. <laughs> sure. I have, I have in the same field to have different cover crops planted. We did that one year uh, up here. Oh, gosh, I had, I had eight different, eight different combinations of things I was using. Uh, my, my soil and water girl, I forget her name. She was out here taking pictures of it. We were having lots of fun. I was, I called myself and she called me the king of cover crops that year. We, we were just trying all diets, different things to see what kind of reaction there would be the next year. And uh, we did see some things. Good. It made, made believers out of me to use a biodiverse uh, cover crop mixture. Instead of like just sedan grass where I'm just growing this massive, massive uh, bio mass, I'm also now putting in other things in it to create a, a more diverse food it's just like us i mean if, if the only thing we ever ate was steak or potatoes or our our beans or something you know we we get kind of uh our health would be out of balance and so maybe maybe it's the soil needs uh bacteria needs a diverse app food diverse food also so that it doesn't get unhealthy and out of balance so what you're saying is my meat and potatoes diet isn't uh, isn't good. I need to diversify a little bit. Um, I would say for the long <laughs> period, yes. Uh, talk to me about soil prep. What are some of the common soil prep and seeding methods for fall crops? Uh, when does it make sense to invest in a lot of soil prep and seeding? And when can you, I guess, get away with minimal soil prep and just tossing seed on the ground? Well, Cereal rice, it loves that. It's minimal soil prep in the fall. I, I guess it just depends on what you want to do with your soil and what's been done. For me, when I when I done with my sweet corn business, where I've I've done uh, ridging, or that's that's a very intense operation where I'm driving over, laying plastic, or actually planting it, laying plastic, pulling plastic off, and uh, a lot of trips over the field. With, to do those uh, raised beds there i will i will uh i apply uh, manure from my neighbor's hog barn we we go in there with a ripper and we rip it up loosen those hard places we've driven over and then we disc it level it and then we uh drill in the cover crop so and then that cover crop is plowed under because it is so massive and we need to clean we need a clean slate to lay plastic on and do all of our transplanting and that kind of stuff on. We just can't have the, the heavy covers. So it just depends, but actually most cover crops are quite easy to establish. Um, 
there there's even guys up here now that are are have a business of seating with a mechanical seater, not airplane, but actually a mechanical seater where they're seating into uh, standing corn and standing uh, um, soybeans. Now, there's it's, it's really big up here in northern Indiana uh, and growing rapidly. It's really fun to see it, to see all the green fields we've got up here now. That's That's one thing that has not always made a lot of sense to me what the appeal of a of a bare brown or uh, you know even uh, light tan white field is over a, a field that's nice and green over winter. Uh, sometimes you'll hear no-till and and soil health systems called ugly farming, and I I just don't fully understand that myself. But well, you guys are probably young. I was I grew up back in the 1950s and 60s. And back then, still in the 60s, we were using a lot of diversity in farming. When we, when we were studying soil science uh, and doing soil judging, one of the categories was is if, if we had class one ground that we could say that you could, it could support cover crops at least 50% of the time. I oh, excuse me, not cover crops, I'm sorry, uh, row crops. Now, today, we got into a farming practice back, I would say, started in the 80s, really. Uh, these, these guys with these massive machineries, they want to they farm thousands and 10,000 acres, you know, and be the biggest and have the biggest tractor and ram over the, the ground and just abuse it. They grow, they grow row crops every year. Corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans. And just slam the, the uh, herbicides to it and and round up it and just do everything so they can cover lots of acres. Well, you, you, your soil just gets tired and it's, it's not fed. It's just got one diet, corn stalks, and every other year. Well, yeah, they got some nice mass that one year, but it's just, it's just not enough to keep our soils healthy. So after you take a, a soil like that and in a few years of of growing a, a good cover crop on it and turn that soil back alive, it's amazing how much better it can do. And so, and we vegetable guys, you know, we got we got crops out there costing us several thousand dollars an acre to plant. And we can earn $10,000 an acre off these things. I mean, it is, it is incredible the amount of money we can earn off of this, off of some of these crops. So we need very good soils, the very best to grow them on. And I know, I know this, I'm, they call me Sweet Corn Charlie because I'm supposedly grow the best sweet corn there is. But I wouldn't do it without cover crops. I got to have soils that are, are better than my neighbors, that they're very much alive and it affects the flavor and quality of the things I'm producing. Chuck, can you expand a little bit more on what sorts of things you do see, even though you're, I mean, you're doing some fairly heavy tillage and, you know, of course you have to in some instances, um, but, but you're still seeing value with your cover crop, even in, even in short windows. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what kinds of things you're seeing with that? Well, uh, I'm seeing health of plants. You, people come out and see my sweet corn growing in my melons, uh, my, my melon crop this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, 
I had a, I had a representative from Trahi Steel. There's, it's an Israeli uh, uh, affiliated firm that does grafting, plant grafting. And they were up here looking at my watermelon field. And there were so many watermelon out there in that field that they they it just it just blew him away. I mean, he's in watermelon fields every day all over the all over the United States. This guy was. And he saw that and he stopped and took pictures. We actually called the Israelis and he sent them pictures of what they saw in this in my watermelon fields. There were so many of them and they were so healthy. And you know what? I sprayed them one time with, with fungicide this year, once. Now, there's the things I'm seeing. And I'm not organic. I'm not an organic guru. I'm just, I'm just trying to use the best of all practices. And I'm seeing stuff like this. And I'm seeing such a health in my sweet corn that I don't have to spray the fungicides and, and everything that other people are doing. It's so healthy. That's really interesting, too. And that's the sort of thing that when we do research on cover crops, we don't we're not always able to capture some of those things. Um, so that's where it really takes you as the farmer taking a critical look using these cover crops and taking a critical look at what they might be doing for you compared to what you might normally do. Right. Because if you have, um, you know, if you have, say, a soil scientist out there to to do research with those cover crops, they're going to tend to look at the soil measurements. And, and not maybe even, you know, if they're not familiar with how many fungicide passes you would ordinarily need to take, that just isn't going to be a measurement they're going to think to look for. Um, so, you know, it'll get it'll get taken down as a number in a data set um, and, and possibly overlooked then in the final analysis and and that's that's a little bit where we're at with some cover crops is is do, taking that look at the at the whole system from the crop to the inputs to the cover crop and over a, a, a period of years how that all works together yeah this isn't just a one-time dance here I, i'm not a Listen, I, I don't see uh, cover crops as just a Saturday night girl here. Uh, we're, we're in a marriage, and, and I, I live with them. Um, I, have, I have to have a little bit different equipment out here. I have a flail mower that I can mow down my cover crops with and flail them um, in, in some cases. I have discs, uh, more disking equipment because I have to deal with sods, uh, where these guys that are just brown, brown earthing it, They'll, they don't have to deal with sod roots and stalks and stuff. You know, the, the, that's one reason why they don't want to mess with it. But I think I'm going to be farming when they're not because I can make, I can make more money off of my ground per acre than they can by far because of the use of cover crops. And so, but my system is designed to have cover crops in them to deal with them. So I have some tools here that some people may not have because I'm dealing with, with cover crops and that's okay. It's part of the system. Right. And, and Eric, I would dare say we may have not ever talked about cover crops in quite such a way on the series yet. You're probably right. And Chuck, I want to, I want to finish with this. Uh, you know, I ask each of our guests this and Joe, you can chime in as well here after Chuck, uh, but what would you recommend 
For vegetable growers who are interested in learning more about using cover crops, where should they go? Well, one place it would be uh, Byron Seeds. Oh, Byron Seeds is probably a Cadillac outfit that, you know, their seed may cost a little bit more buying it from them, but they'll have representatives helping you with uh, what to what to plant and uh, getting you very high quality seeds to plant in an area. I mean, they'll, they'll work with you. They, they understand the game, like Byron Seeds. Uh, up here in the north, we have this 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 place at Ed Supply. They're doing a great job. So, um, you know, talk to these people about what they might recommend for your soils and the crops that you're going to grow in next. They understand them. They understand when to plant them, how thick to plant them, uh, those kind of things. There's so there's so much out here, um, and, and we didn't even talk about mustards. Mustards as a biofumigant, they're getting into that now too, where we're wanting, wanting to grow something to help sterilize the soil from some of our things where we're uh, growing vegetable crops. I've used quite a bit of mustards already too. Of course, they take a, they take a little different planting mechanism. They, you have to plant them with a, uh, like an alfalfa cedar because it's such a fine seed. But yet they are, they are valuable. I've used them and they do make a difference in a biofumigant. Uh, we're having things that can deal with nematodes and different types of nematodes. So um, I guess my my first in place I would check for people that don't know anything or don't have anybody to contact that's in the business, I would check with your buyer and seed dealer and start there. Um, there. But there are other places coming along, like I'm dealing with this as supply here in Shipshawan, Indiana. Get on the Get on the the web with those guys, and uh, I don't know the, uh, exactly who you contact there, but um, they are they are a dealer of massive proportions of cover crops, semi loads a daily of cover crops. It's it's exciting to see what's finally happening here. Yeah, and it's we do have. Um, of course, around the state, we have quite a few um, good cover crop seed dealers. So, you know, whoever your local one might be, because Indiana does have so much of a cover crop presence, uh, we, we have seen a lot of businesses respond to that. Um, so find a dealer you can work with and, and like and, and work with them. Of course, you know, you're a, a local neighbor, or if you don't like your local neighbors, maybe a less local neighbor um, that is doing some of this work um, can also be a good one to look at. So, you know, like Chuck, you would be a, a great one um, to look at, to see how, how folks in your area are doing it. Um, you know, your, your local land grant also likely has quite a few resources. We have, we have quite a bit here at Purdue. Um, I do think um, Michigan State was uh, a big one doing some of that work with the mustards and as a biofumigant. I think they were leading some of that effort at least uh, a couple of years ago. I have not followed up with that recently, but um, so your local land grant or your local extension can be a really great resource as well. And of course, uh, your NRCS office, your soil and water conservation district office here in Indiana, we have... Uh, we have extension, we have SWCD, and we have NRCS in, in every county, right? Uh, yeah. Or NRCS maybe splits some counties, but 
we have a lot of those local on the ground resources for you folks out there. Well, your soil water uh, resources, uh, soil water conservation offices is a great resource. I love mine. That's, that's my main office down here that I work with. Um, they're, they're very helpful. We're, we're, we're full-time members of the soil and water conservation service. You know, we're, we're supporting members. We, we work with them. We'll do whatever we can because we, we, it's, it's actually fun. It's actually fun to see cover crops and you really can't make too many mistakes with it. I mean, you're starting out and you say, well, I don't know what to plant. Well, just plant something <laughs> and, and, and go with it. You, there's, it's hard to make too many mistakes with it. Uh, as long as you've got a mower, you can mow it if it gets away from you. <laughs> sure, sure. But but it, you know uh, those are the those are the laughs I have of of something I had to mow twice in order to even get it plowed under. You know I won't do that one again. You know, I'll be, watch this. But uh, it, it's 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 making it interesting again. Try your different cover crops. See what they'll do. See what they'll do. Right? Try try rolling your. Uh, your rye down and growing tomatoes in it. You know, work with that. There's some people that's done it. You can learn from them uh, some things, and, and these things are coming. And uh, it's, it's it's fun adventures. This this corn soybean thing and just brown soil, that's so boring. Those guys got to go to their psychiatrist every week, you know, uh, because it's so boring. Uh, come join the cover crop crowd, and we're, we're having laughs and fun and all kinds of things. <laughs> that's sweet corn charlie chuck moeller and you can find him at sweetcorncharlie.com or facebook.com slash sweet corn charlie joe rorick with us as well conservation agronomist with the conservation cropping systems initiative proud sponsor of this podcast thank you both so much for joining us today really great conversation around cover crops Thank you both. It was a pleasure. And that does it for this edition of the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. Learn more about CCSI and their initiative at ccsin.org. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and this has been a production of Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.